This is the Shift Podcast. The team from Cleveland has officially changed its name. It used to be the I word, but I call it the team from Cleveland. Since 1915, Cleveland's Major League Baseball team has been there, and it will now be called the Cleveland Guardians. The baseball club announced this name change on Friday with a video on Twitter narrated by actor Tom Hanks. Gosh, everything's better with Tom. Ending months of internal discussions triggered by national reckoning by institutions and teams to permanently drop logos and names considered racist. Everything's fine now. Tom Hanks has voiced a commercial. We are a city on the rise, forging into the future from our ironed out past. We are a city of fire and water, of trees and towers, built through generations of blue collars and the brightest scholars and all of those who have worked harder. We hold tight to our roots and set our sights on tomorrow. And this is our team that has stood with our city for more than a century, from old municipal to the corner of Carnegie. A team that has seen its own progress and prosperity. Its history flows like the river through the heart of this city. A history that has given us miraculous moments. Moments that spanned years and others 22 games. Moments that broke barriers and moments that broke hearts. Moments that prove this is more than a game. We remember those moments as we move forward with change. You see, it has always been Cleveland... That's the best part of our name. And now it's time to unite as one family, one community, to build the next era for this team and this city, to keep watch and guard what makes this game the greatest, to come together and welcome all who want to join us. We are loyal and proud and resilient. We protect what we've earned and always defend it. Together we stand with all who understand what it means to be born and built from the land. Because this is the city we love and the game we believe in. And together, we are all Cleveland Guardians. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! Look for Tom Hanks is involved in playing that clip. So there you go. The choice of Guardians will, uh, no question, be criticized by many diehard fans. But you hear it, you hear people say it, even in the press conference, they're saying we're getting rid of the, the team from Cleveland's name, and the general manager said the word just repeatedly over and over. It's like, we're getting rid of this name because it's insensitive to use it, but I'm just going to use it repeatedly, just constantly through the whole speech. So yeah, uh, it, when I hear it, I try to respond with patience, but sometimes it's tough. I hear politicians, and that's kind of what sparked this too. You hear my Minister of Indigenous Services, Mark Miller, when talking about bills and acts. I'm always asking myself, what gives a bill or, a, or, or, or an act a pass with that word? You know? I, I don't get it. I understand there's laws. Like, can't we rename it? And if Indigenous and First Nations want to take it back and use it, you do you. But YDC and UNF, UNPF head delegate, hereditary chief, treaty Indigenous rights advocate, child and youth advocate, Nipawi Kakanusit, talk to me about this word, the I word. And how do we do this? How we de- de- navigate? How we discuss this word? And how and when it's used. Well, and and that's the and that's the difficult part of all the conversation is, again, as we had discussed briefly about the legal ramifications and and the fiduciary obligations that are tied to it. But it's definitely uh, a growing conversation, especially with uh, Bill Bill C fifteen and UNDRIP um, being brought into law, not only in BC but uh, in, in federal respects as well. So it's definitely going to be a conversation, but um, definitely one I'm, I'm definitely um, looking forward to talking more to you about here, this conversation. Okay, well, let's, let's start with this then. When, when you hear that word, if, if you don't mind sharing, how does it make you feel? Well, when it is in the context of the act, it's, it's understood to be a legal term. Now, when it's in a day-to-day interaction, quite frankly, it's it's offensive, it's uh, hurtful, uh, because it, it harkens back to uh, a time when we were, as a people, looked down upon and despised. Um, even for myself, um, growing up in the early to 
late 90s, uh, 2000s, around there. Um, I grew up in that time when we transitioned from being called Indians to First Nations to Indigenous and, and what have you. And I even remember back then in school, in kindergarten, grade one, and hearing that term and just being made to feel a certain way about it and just understanding that what was being said in the room, that there was that that kind of, uh, how should I put it, this kind of resentment in even saying that. Um, so definitely it was a, a, a noticeable um term that was being said even back in the 90s but then again for my parents generation you know it was the term of the day and it was used quite uh disparagingly towards towards our parents and then of course our grandparents generation uh having gone to residential schools you know that was a term that was used uh harmfully towards them and and it's rooted in in these other terms of you know such as savage and heathens and, and things like that so you know for myself and a lot of people in the indigenous community that's what that term uh invokes in us when we when we hear it in a context that you know isn't um to do with the law and even when it is to do to the law for a, a lot of folks it still invokes that kind of reaction with a lot of folks me, talk to me like I'm six, Nepal. We, why, why do, why is it okay for it to be said in that context? It has to do with the treaties that were signed and the definitions that were given to uh, the people that they signed it. So they called us Indians at that time, and so that's where the legal definition came in to begin with. But then, if we go to 1982 and the Constitution Act, that's where it further was defined. And so here in Canada, it breaks down to three groups. Uh, so-called status Indians, those of us who are registered under the Indian Act as uh, status Indians. Um, it, point of fact, I'm actually going to pull out my uh, status card right now and read you something that's on it. Okay. So on the back of every uh, status card in Canada, it says this. This is to certify that the holder is an Indian within the meaning of the Indian Act. Chapter 27, Statutes of Canada, 1985. So even on our cards, it says that, you know, we're, we're Indians, but that's just one group of people. So then there's also the Métis and there's the Inuit. And so within the Constitution Act of 1982, it very clearly defines these three groups. And so this is also where it gets complicated. So as you can see, it's entrenched into the Constitution as well as into the Bill of Rights as well. So for us to remove that term from the laws and uh, the constitution, it's going to be a massive conversation. With that being said, I do think we are at a time in our nation's history to have that conversation. Should we be eliminating that word altogether, Nipa? We even when we're talking, referring to the bill, should we say maybe the I Act or, or how, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I do think that we should be mindful of the term and understand where it comes from. But to call it the I Act, I think, would create a lot of confusion within the, within the country and it would muddy the conversation a bit further. Um, with that being said, though, with the consultations and the uh, movement that's going on, Bill C-15, as well as UNDRIP, I do think that we have a golden opportunity to change some of those definitions but there needs to be political will uh from the public to do that and i do believe it starts with these kinds of conversations to be like yes it is not okay to be using that kind of terminology and how do we get to a solution within uh the system that we're in to change that terminology if that's even possible because yeah. that's also uh, something that has to be considered here when we're having this conversation, because with, with UNDRIP, it's really giving the nations more and more autonomy to do uh, what they so desire. But then having to relate that to the relationship with Canada as well. So I would say in the next coming years, you know, this is definitely going to be an ongoing conversation, but it's going to be very much tied to what's going on right now in terms of the nation getting more autonomy and self-determination through UNDRIP and Bill C-15. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, just to, and analyzing myself and just while you were saying that, I wonder if it's a little bit of white guilt I have as well. That when it comes to well, saying that, you know what I mean? So I, I kind of feel bad about saying that, but, but I shouldn't. I shouldn't feel bad, but like you said, I should just be aware. 
Yes, exactly. I, I think that we're past the time where people need to feel guilty. And I think we're at a time exactly like you're saying, where we need to be aware and start putting action behind that awareness as well. Because it's one thing to be aware of things, but it's another thing to take that awareness and take it into positive action. And again, I really do believe we are in a time where this is possible because I'll, I'll give you just a brief example. Uh, here in Victoria, uh, we have a vigil set up for the uh, the children that have been uncovered at the residential schools. And this was in the early days when it was just Kamloops uh, and it was 215 children at that time. Uh, a young, about approximately 35-year-old uh, non-Indigenous man, uh, a white man, I would say, um, was at the legislature and I was sitting there, you know, because my grandmother was a survivor and I felt I, I, I needed to go there to, you know, feel those feelings. And as I was doing that, I saw this man standing there and he was bawling his eyes out, just absolutely just bawling his eyes out. And that really spoke to me because it said that it said to me that if somebody like that could feel so moved by what's going on, then absolutely we have a lot of potential to make these kinds of changes, but it's going to come down to whether or not we as a society as a whole actually want to make these changes. And I want to, and it sounds like you want to as well. So I think we need to start getting together and start again, having these conversations, but also starting to figure out how we can further that work within our communities as well. Yep. That's why I want to talk to you, my friend. One last question. Um, just looking at the, the, labels i guess because it's, yeah. a, it's a european we love to label everything and we've we've given these labels to you and your people and others like you and then we've taken them back and given you new ones so i wonder mm -hmm. from from a proud indigenous man when referring to you and, and your people is the most respect given to say your nation so instead of indigenous or first nation i would say nipawi is is a cree man would that be the most respect that i could show well, that would be a starting point for sure, but I'll just give you some further insight there. So Cree is a bit of a, um, it, it's an amalgamation of a few terms from both the French and the Anishinaabe. Okay. What we refer to ourselves is, and it depends on um, what part of the nation you're talking about, but uh, generally speaking from where I come from, we refer to ourselves as Nihiao. And so that just essentially translates into our language as, as the people. Or uh, if you want to get more specific, it depends on the nation and the area that you're talking about. But uh, what I would say is this. Look at where you're from, whether you're in Vancouver and with Muskegon, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish, or you're over here in the Kwangan-speaking territories with the Songhees and Esquimalt. Just start looking at that. Just start looking at where you live, look at the nations that are there, and then go and ask them, what do you, or how do you refer to yourself? And I really think that not only will that show a great deal of respect, but will also then start those conversations like we were just talking about. Because quite frankly, as an Indigenous leader, I'll say, you know, we it's probably one of the biggest things we've been waiting for and we're still waiting for is for people to just come in our community and, and ask questions and you know understanding that you know you can come and ask in in respectful ways and i would say how you've gone about uh this interview today is a fine example of that of you know having questions and asking them in a manner that you know is is getting answers and uh results and um i feel that you know moving forward from today i i hope that listeners can feel that uh you know, they, they have some of, somewhat of an idea of how they can uh, contribute to the meaningful work that's going on right around them right now. That's, that makes my heart happy because I care deeply for your people and their traditions. And, and I think that, uh, you know, uh, f from the other side, you know, speaking, don't, don't be afraid as, as me doing this to you. Like, I, like I, I mentioned the white guilt, don't be afraid to ask those questions because you, yeah. as, as a respectful person, you'll say, actually, this is what it is, like you just did there with me, which was awesome, and I learned so much. And there's a respect there that can be had, and I think that's that's so great. Nepal, we thank you for your time today, and maybe maybe in a few weeks we can uh, we can break down what you mentioned in there with the where that with that lesson you gave me about the, the Cree and and the breakdown of the nations within nations, if you want to, because I think that would be really educational as well. 
That would be great. I do think that it is a conversation that, uh, again, needs to be had and it'll give more insight for, for folks to understand just really the, the diversity even within the nations themselves. This is The Shift Podcast. It's the regular Nicole from Nicole Finds Love talking about, like I said, I have a date tomorrow. We'll get more into my dating life as we always do in this conversation, I'm sure. Um, But uh, when, when, when it comes to dating, there's, there's some key things to do that we're about to learn. And one of the things that I need to learn, because I have opinions, I have, if you haven't heard, I have opinions, which, which can make for some good conversation, right, Nicole? And it can backfire. <laughs> yes, it can. <laughs> One of the rules when I coach men, I'm like, 20% of the talking. They're like, what? I'm like, if you hear yourself going over 20%, stop. They're like, that's not very much, Nicole. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Wow. Yeah, and it's because women connect by sharing. And so she'll feel really connected and seen and heard when a man asks a lot of questions about her and is really curious. And she'll be like, wow, he really wanted to get to know me because that's how she feels really um, bonded. It's by feeling connected. That's why women chat, 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 talk, talk, talk. And that's how we connect. Men aren't like that. Men don't reveal a lot. But he will reveal and talk a lot when he's trying to what I call peacock, trying to impress, impress her, trying to win her over. So he'll share lots of things. And Sometimes these women will say, but why? Why is he talking so much? Or why is he sharing that he has XYZ or accomplished XYZ? Because I never asked. Why is he telling me this? And I'm like, oh, that's because he's trying to impress you. That was a peacock move. <laughs> okay, so I think there's important things in there. Never asked. So if, if, if the question is asked and I go on for a long time, is that okay? <laughs> and then <laughs> we'll watch her response. Does she start to like zone out? Does she start to look away? Those are good indicators. Um, It's also just watching her body language and also just kind of checking with yourself. What am I trying to say here? Am I trying to wow her or am I trying to like show like I've got it together? Like just be curious with yourself. But sometimes guys don't even know they're doing it. So I I think it's okay. What I teach women to do is interrupt. (laughs) And women are like, but that's so rude. And I'm like, yeah, but sometimes he doesn't know he's going on or that you've lost a little bit of interest what you could say is hey that reminds me of what you just said that reminds me of dot 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 and you can totally take the conversation in a completely different direction and it's just a good way to bring it back around Mm -hmm. because i talk a lot but (laughs) but i'm constantly asking questions okay that's good and i find that you know, if I ask a question and I only get a small response, I'm like, well, then I'll elaborate and then ask another question and then talk some more and ask a question. But a lot mm-hmm. of the time I'm so trying to not look like a fool. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. That's really a lot of things. And the questions too. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Ask the and you're asking questions that yeah. keep you curious. Oh, tell me more. What do you mean by that? Yeah. A lot of times we kind of ask short ended questions that kind of lead to like one statement, one words, and they're really hard to elaborate on. Right. And if you're shy or if it's awkward on both sides, the conversation can feel a bit stilted. So the curiosity is to stay curious. I always use that word. You'll hear me talk about it all the time. Stay curious. Stay curious. What does that mean? How'd you get to that thought or that opinion, that conclusion? Like, and that will draw information out from the other person. Okay, well, I'm curious right now, and we're going to get to relationships in a second. But, um, okay, I just want to clarify. Just, I have questions for you now. What do you, what do you, do you take couples and help them as relate and are, that are already in relationships? Or do you, are you like the Bev Goldberg and you bring <laughs> people together? Mm, that's a good question. No, um, I tend to have a lot of people that come to me to look for love. So my website's really designed for women. And then I have a lot of men that come to me and say, you work with women, that means you understand the inside of a woman's mind, I need you to help me figure these women out. So I have a lot of men that will come to me as well. But it usually is around navigating, dating, being single, trying to meet somebody, and then the new start of a new relationship. And then what ends up happening is they'll start a new relationship and then I may end up coaching them as a couple and then word of mouth gets around and then I end up working with couples that are navigating, bringing the spark back, whether they're trying to figure out um, conflict resolution, different situations. So that tends to be by word of mouth. Okay. Okay. Because I find 
things um i find people like you fascinating <laughs> because <laughs> nicoletalkslove.com like you're doing this show you have a, you're successful like you do this this is your mm -hmm. thangalang so i'm mm -hmm. i'm always curious are you like michael scott when he declares bankruptcy he's like i declare bankruptcy you're like <laughs> are you one day are you just like i'm a relationship expert because i just there's no school this? yeah it's because yeah. there's no school for it so like how did That's right. how do you become this yeah, so my background is in counseling, and then I was trained in coaching, and then I've been trained in what's called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, so it really looks at the unconscious, why we do things the way we do, why do we keep repeating the same patterns, like why do we keep attracting the same person, or why does it keep happening in my relationship, so I really help understand what are those unconscious beliefs patterns thoughts that are getting in the way and really help people release that is like is neuroplasticity a part of that yeah for sure yeah that rewiring of the brain catching your thought process understanding your behaviors where they come from what's at the unconscious level you're not even aware of you're like shoot that's what i just did that's what i was trying to get in that moment i didn't know Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, okay, I'm getting more intimidated by the minute because you're like super smart and wow. <laughs> um, and counseling too. You're, are you, mm -hmm. were you once, well, I guess you kind of are a counselor still. I if was. You were, no, yeah. okay. I'm not registered. Okay. Not registered, but I okay. used to. And I used to counsel boys in jail. So, my background was working with boys in jail and so, and then youth and then so forth moved on from that. But it gave a lot of insight to like the male psyche at a young age for sure. <laughs> Oh, that's really so. funny because that's I, I was a horrible young man, so that's why I enjoy and I'm <laughs> able to talk to you because you're the type of person that I probably talk to a lot in my life. <laughs> so funny, yeah. No, it's just lots of different experiences, mm -hmm. and then into coaching and stuff. But yeah. I think it's just that deep desire, like a geek out on human psychology, why we do what we do, yeah. and how do we get to that point, and how do we change it if it's not working? Yeah. Do people ask you about your relationship lots too? Like, well, as a professional, how, how are you in a relationship? Are you, you know, absolutely. all that stuff? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I don't think it's always like credible, but I think people are looking to be inspired by the person they're getting information from. Right. It's kind of like going to the gym. You're not necessarily going to hire the most overweight trainer or because you're like, well, if it's not working for you, how can you help me? So I think people do that association unconsciously okay. or you, they're looking at a finance person and they don't know if that person's out of debt or even making the money, but they're going to tell them how to make their millions, right? Like it's incongruent. So people look to see if the information is correct <laughs> based I, on that person's life. Yeah, to I agree 100%. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, now we're going to get to the... The other stuff now. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Um, um, there, I feel like nowadays there's a lot. Maybe there's just a lot more in the open when it comes to relationship. There's like friends with benefits, all types. Mm -hmm. Is is one more healthy than the other, or they can can they all be sort of healthy on the same level? Yeah, I think any dynamic of a relationship or interaction. You could even use that word interaction because I'll explain a few different types of relationships. Are, can work for somebody. I think what the problem is, is not everybody's clear on what they want or they're not clear on communicating what they want. And that's how we get hurt and disappointed. So anything's possible when we're really um, able to communicate our boundaries, communicate our expectations, communicate the likes and dislikes, then anything really is possible. Are there, I don't think there's one. Oh, sorry. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, are there, is there like a top three or four types of relationships right now? Or I guess mm. is not right now, just type of, of relationships, mm. I guess I should just say. Yeah, you could say like relationships. Yeah, there's many different types for sure. I think one that you and I were talking about earlier is that situationship is a word that's come up a lot lately. Right. And it's a new term. People are like, what does this mean? And so you have like a relationship where you have two people that are decided to be exclusive, to commit to each other, to build a potential future together. That's the intention. That's the kind of the end goal. We're, we're, com we're, we're compatible. We're going to explore this. And it may lead to marriage. It may not. It may, live, may lead to living together. But it has the intent of a long-term commitment. Where a situationship, where how people end up in that is they find it, they have feelings for this person, or they both do, but they're unclear where this is going, and no one's really communicated, it's undefined. So they're acting like they're in a relationship, so they may be seeing each other regularly, they may be talking a bit about the future, they may be sleeping together, but it's not really defined. So they're not like, I'm just seeing you, we're committed to each other, we're exclusive, that conversation hasn't been had. 
So it creates really blurry lines. And I think that's when people get really confused into what are they doing and what can I expect from this person? I think you said it's uh, popular amongst young people. That seems like a very young person type of relationship. It can be. Um, and I've seen it in others as well. When they're like, if you're newly out of a relationship, out of a long term relationship or newly divorced and you're like, I'm not sure what I want. I'm not really clear what I'm looking for. This is working, but I don't know if I want this long term. That can be kind of where it may stem into like a different generation. But I think a lot of the younger people can end up in this because it's it takes courage to have a conversation to get really um, comfortable expressing what we want and sometimes we don't want to really say what we want because we're afraid we're going to rock the boat and that other person might not feel the same way and so then that we're trying to avoid rejection <laughs> and so we're just hoping that it'll turn out the way we want but that isn't always the case <laughs> oh i'm so used to rejection maybe maybe that's why i'm okay with dating and it's not a big deal um casual <laughs> this is this is a casual yeah. relationship so casually they're 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 possible, but yes. they're, but there's just probably obstacles. Well, casual is like is the very idea that there is no expectation. So I'm casually seeing you. I may be even casually sleeping with you, but there's no expectation that this is going to go the distance. This isn't going to go into something committed long term. So I'm just casually spending time with you, um, dating you, hanging out with you, potentially sleeping with you but I don't have the expectation that this is something that we're going to be exclusive with. Okay. Now this, I, I know you're not an expert on this cause you mentioned that, but I just want to mention mm -hmm. it to you. And I'm going to be honest. The reason I want to talk about it is cause mm -hmm. I went on a girl. I went on a date with a girl three times now that's yeah. in one of these ENM relationships. And I'm like, well, you know, it's 2021. Let's try something new. So I've been on a yeah. few dates and it's, she's cool. It's fine. You know, but yeah. I'm, I'm not noticing anything different than, any other relationship so are, are, what are the are, are these even possible talking about ethical non-monogamy so it's a person that's with a partner that but they still see other people yeah and in that there's a lot of variations to what that means um, but the biggest thing within that is both people in that relationship are consenting that they either they both are going to look outside of the relationship or one's going to look outside of the relationship, but it's consensual. That's the difference. And that's what makes it ethical because otherwise that would be then cheating. <laughs> the other person doesn't know. So you have this consensual. And so you may have both parties looking to have other needs met. So this can lead to why people may do their like exploring their sexuality. So they're looking at other ways to see if this is a good fit for them. They may find that their partner in that they're in a relationship with can't meet all their needs. So they're going to look outside the relationship to have other needs met. Um, emotionally, intellectually, physically. It could be that they're not really, they're just wanting a bit more variety, have some fun. Like it can have very different needs that require or create the space for people to explore this. So are they, are they difficult? You know, there's probably a lot more rules, you know, do I, do I have to get a robe like Seinfeld <laughs> and change my whole attitude? <laughs> well, I don't think it's, it's not possible. It, they're just a little more complicated. Right, they're right, a little yeah. more complex because you're not just dating one person because you have someone else that you have to still consider because they're still attached to them. And so for someone like yourself, if you're dating somebody who is in an open relationship, you need to know that they may never fully be with you because they're first committed to their partner. Right. And so you get to decide, okay, was well, that good work for me? Or you might be like, this is great because I just wanted casual anyways with meaning there's no long-term um, commitment or expectation. So it really gets to be really important. This is where expressing each other's expectations, <laughs> boundaries, <laughs> communication. It's a high level of a relationship when you're entering into these these types. Right, mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah, then that's you meant you just said it there. I'm not I just want something casual. I'm not I don't know where I am right now, you know, with my career and you know every, everything in my life. So it's like, you know, I don't want to 
commit and just dive in with someone. So that's really sure. a part of it for me. And then, yeah, so then that, that works. Yeah, see, that's mm-hmm. why it would work then. But then, I, like I said, like, the, like, do I have to meet him? Is it like the godfather? Like, it's just, mm. I, I have all these questions. But again, like you said, just communication. And I can just ask her and I will. Yeah. But I can just and, ask. Yeah. Totally. And because for her, she may have different expectations than if you met somebody else. They might have different rules within their relationship, right? So there, that's why you couldn't say this is how you do it and these are the rules and these are the questions you ask because each couple will have their own rules of how they want this to work right. and what's comfortable for them and do they meet their other person or do they not do they even talk about it do they not like there's lots of different ways this can go about and this isn't the same mm-hmm. as a sugar mama no yeah and um, no okay. <laughs> no okay. Just to ask. no okay all right uh, Nicole, yeah. it's it's a, it's really wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for calling me today. This was a great chat. No worries. Look forward to the next call. Awesome. <laughs> All the best. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Okay, there you go. Bye. That's my day tomorrow with an ethically non-monogamous woman. We'll see how it goes. It's the Shift Podcast. The dislike button is out there. And I'm going to be honest. When I first heard this is happening, this was, this was my legitimate reaction. You come out with... Stink like that. Poop. Poop mouth. Poop out of your mouth. That's how I feel. It's like, why would you give people the opportunity just to put people down? Because a person like me is just going to take every opportunity to do it. <laughs> but after experiencing, I kind of, th- it, I, f- I feel different. But it's live and active now. The dislike button or dis or vote up or down on Twitter. Eek. It's interesting. You know, who doesn't love some love, though? Thank you, Donna. You can love me anytime. Uh, Professor Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality. We talked about this dislike button. Like I said, ew. What levels of Dante's Inferno are we opening with this button? And what are your thoughts, Jesse? Okay, so a couple of years ago, I was doing these sessions talking to parents about how their kids live in this affirmation culture, right? And they were all very angry about like, well, all these kids, the mental health is all about getting likes, yada, yada, yada. And I said, you know, what if we introduced a dislike button? Like, what would your own personal social media look like if you posted a picture of your family and like, 30% of the people who follow you are like, no, dislike. Like, would you still use the platform? And so affirmation culture really has structured the way we use social media. But what it's done over 15 years is it's caused this rift where we see these things happening where people all of a sudden say, well, the algorithm knows things about me and everybody's doing these things and they're only doing it for the popularity contest. But the reality of it is that our culture, our marketing, our commerce is all based on likes and dislikes. And you don't have to like anything that somebody else does and vice versa so yeah so when we think about the way that individuals use these platforms reddit a huge huge social media uh, uh, website where there's communities of actual people affirming posts and, and 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 putting content in that shows why the post is total garbage that's existed for a very long time and it's like a dislike button it's just up votes and down votes now facebook has been doing this with their uh comment section and it's like if the comment is helpful upvote it so that it kind of finds its way in the feed of the of the community better and if it's not that great push it down so it kind of sits down where it's supposed to be in the garbage heap of the internet cesspool you mentioned affirmation culture there which i've never heard of so this is all just kind of part of that and like any other culture it has its ups and downs Oh, exactly. And the thing is, we've created a social media environment where we do like things, we we amplify them. And that's where the social media influencer kind of comes into play. But the reality of it is, is that we also factor that in where we kind of call it cancel culture. And in that when somebody does something that the majority of the community says, no, this is inappropriate, we cancel them as opposed to pushing the content down. So the biggest thing now becomes where does this new dislike feature play? I much rather say I dislike what you're saying as opposed to disliking the individual. But the reality of it is, is that there it's a hard thing to discern because I could say there are people out there who I really don't value their opinion, but we might be aligned in the same way when it comes to something that we would say culturally is okay or society, we need to do that. Mm -hmm. So within that, it's almost like the politics of our lives. There are politicians out there that I have no affinity towards in any way, shape or form, but I don't mind their platform if their platform is for the greater good. Right. Okay. Say someone dislikes all of your your tweets like a troll, and they keep chirping you, and you, and you finally clap back, and it, it unleashes the worst moment since Green Lantern's release. Like it, you, you know, you don't want to do this, but you do it. How do you recover from that? 
Well, the reality of it is, is that it becomes quite difficult for individuals to, to navigate how people respond to them on social media. So when you start to feel that pile on, all those individuals kind of coming at you, that's where mental health plays a big role. Not everybody is is in a position to deal with people actively disliking them. And the thing is, is that when we think about our kind of our, our, our people in, in our everyday general society who are disliked, they let it kind of roll off their back because they turn around and say, you know what, this doesn't affect me because I'm still making millions of dollars. I'm still kind of I have an audience who does like me and the reality of it is is that not everybody is prepared to be on social media it is it is just a very toxic and caustic environment that sometimes isn't the healthiest of places so when we sit there and say some people aren't wired for politics they're better off in 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 private business that's another reality right some people might not be ready for the everyday discourse of anybody liking them or not liking them it comes down to how do we create safer environments for healthy communication in our very kind of remote communities of social media not like for the grand scheme of all the world to hear but if in your community you're trying to make some change where can it become a better positive experience by engaging in a healthy way or maybe yes sometimes when you say something not everybody likes it but they don't need to pile on and destroy you as a human being oh we got to kind of think oh that community man jesse you're sparking (laughs) like we got to think of it as our own communities within the community within the internet community that would probably be helpful when even dealing with this stuff because it's (laughs) we think it's everybody but it's really not it's just your community Sure. And the thing is that there are people in this world who would say one individual was the most toxic person that they've ever met. Another person might sit there and say that person without them in my life, I would not be able to get by my every day. Right. So here's the thing about our, our social media communities. It is a society. And now we've kind of taken the borders and the structures and the geography away from that society. And anybody can be negative. Anybody can target you. The problem there becomes how do we start to police that when it becomes bombarded hate, when it becomes really trying to just, you know, take a human being down to these little parts of who they are and make them just irrelevant. So the hard part here is yes, in cancel culture pieces, we let's kind of pivot that to accountability culture. And at the same time, when we think about our society on social media, if we can create spaces that are healthier for our everyday discourse, maybe a dislike button does help. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Now put your doctor hat on now really quick, Jesse. How do you refrain <laughs> from sending the grumpy tweet in the first place? <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not a doctor in any way, shape or form. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to get to that level. And I don't have it these days. But the reality of it is, is that with the grumpy tweet, we have to consider how individuals feel about just our everyday discourse. And so sometimes there is the pushback, you know, we sit there and weigh it out and say, this isn't worth my time. But the reality of it is like, even right now, like I'm on a bit of a sabbatical hiatus from the, my everyday work, I'm kind of feeling the stress of COVID in the sense of, you know, getting back to quote unquote normal for my own mental health. But the reality of it is, is that I'm finding a balance where when I see somebody post something on social media where they act entitled, where they think they know all the facts, where they don't even equate for any of the history that got us to where we are today, maybe a little bit of education is needed. So for me, my grumpy plan of social media pushback lately has been, let me hold you accountable to your opinion because your opinion isn't based in fact. Mm-hmm. And that right there becomes something where we do have do good discourse when people see that and they say, you know, this is an educated opinion coming from this space, as opposed to do your own research and and, uh, you know, you know you're, uh, you, maybe you just Googled that. I think the hard part here is that we do have an attack on expertise. And if somebody has done the work and somebody has done the research, I, it's the same thing with doctors, right? Like I believe when I go to a medical professional, they're going to give me good advice because they were going to graduate through a program. doesn't mean that every doctor is going to give me the best advice. It doesn't mean every doctor is correct. But when we see, you know, the majority of doctors say things like, oh, guess what? COVID is real oh, guess what? Here are the issues and here's the ways of mitigating it. 99.9% of doctors are saying that. But the 0.01 who are saying something opposite maybe are looking to position themselves in a way that gets them a different audience. And so in that, the grumpy pushback is, hey, listen, if I saw that 55 or 60% of doctors were saying this top provincial doctor is wrong, maybe I'd be listening differently. I'm not seeing that. So the grumpy tweet, the grumpy pushback is part of what our society needs to hold people to that point where we're saying, we're not letting your misinformation, we're not letting your garbage take the wheel oh so should we apologize for our grumpy tweets then you know what i think i I apologize when i feel like i've actually kind of pushed somebody into a corner in a negative way but that's just the way i've made up like if i if i use my wit to hold somebody accountable and later on i'm like oh maybe i kind of knocked them around when they weren't in they weren't in the uh mental uh, logistics category as i am be the same as you know the person who weighs 275 all muscle beating up a person who's a buck 50 and not you know they say i could have controlled that situation better the reality of it is is that i do feel guilty sometimes when i hold somebody accountable on social media but the reality of it is if it's for the greater community good no i'm not going to apologize to loudly for it i'm never going to apologize grumpy pushback is my specialty i love it 
This is the Shift Podcast. All right, we're going to talk music. I wonder, hey, Matt, does this change your... Do opinions of musicians change your opinion of the musician? I mean, it it depends on how just horrible of a of a of an opinion it can be. I mean, I do believe in separating the art from the artist. Me too. Me too. You know, it's tough though. It it can be tough, and yeah. they can make it very tough. Yeah. You know, if you're a Van Morrison fan, it can be very hard well, to be a Van Morrison <laughs> fan right now. <laughs> yes, it can. Well, same with Slow Hand and the Boss. People like the Boss. People like Slow Hand, but maybe they're a little upset at Clapton. Because the boss and 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 Eric Clapton are doing the polar opposites. One is having a reaction to vaccinations by having shows where you are they are only out allowing people that are vaccinated at those shows. That's Bruce Springsteen. But Eric Clapton, old slow hand, he says, I am not playing a show if there are vac- vaccines required to be there. And like Matt said, he wrote a song with Van Morrison not long ago, produced it. Uh, but it's it's anti-lockdown, anti-vaccination, you know, stand up. But it, I mean, it, it's okay though, because it's kind of rock and roll, no matter what you th- how you think about it. It's it's a musician doing what they want and singing about it. That is rock and roll. Eric Alper, musicologist and publicist, chatted to me about this. But I started by congratulating Eric on his most recent Billboard article. Oh, thanks, man. That was a lot of fun. You know, it, it's it's nice to be recognized. Um, uh, and look, I had a subscription to Billboard when I was 12. Ooh. So this was kind of, um, it was kind of neat seeing, you know, seeing that article in a magazine that I've long loved and, and helped support. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, I had my name in the Source magazine, or my group's name in the Source magazine, and same thing. It was just my name, but I still right. have, I that, have it that, framed. I'm like, that, that's so dope. That's all you need sometimes, right? And I think anybody in any business has that. If you get recognized just a little bit by your peers, you're kind of like, well, that certainly made all those bad days worth it. <laughs> and add, bad days add up. Well, it couldn't happen to a better guy. So congrats again. Uh, thanks, man. You bet. So um, here we go. Uh, the vaccination passports at concert. Um, the one, Eric Clapton and Springsteen. Springsteen only allowing people with vaccinated passports. Clapton saying, nope, I don't want those passports. First of all, what, what are your thoughts on the, the passports, vaccine passports for concerts? I'd love to see now Clapton and Springsteen tour together and just ballot out. Just have have them fighting on stage and then have the audience just ballot out like a WWE competition. Um, you know, this is really interesting because it, it, it's it's certainly the political side of this planet is getting into the music industry. Um, But it always has though, you know, um, liking a band, loving a band, supporting a band has always almost been political when you really get down to it. Um, But what's interesting about the Clapton situation is that he didn't really have to say anything publicly. He could have just chosen to announce his tour in America in places where they're not requiring a vaccine passport or proof that you've been vaccinated. There's certainly a lot of places in America that he could have gone to and nobody even would have been the wiser about that. But because since the pandemic hit, he's been very vocal about thinking that the the COVID has been fake. It's been um, that the vaccines have been unproven. And he's certainly entitled to have that opinion if he wants to. The general public, of course, has the absolute right to say, I'm not going to go see you anymore because A, I don't agree with you, or B, I just don't feel safe knowing mm-hmm. that the options now are completely vaccinated concerts. And I think that's where we're heading into because no insurance company, no liability company wants to actually handle perhaps somebody getting sick and maybe even dying at a show. Yeah. And ticket sales, I think either way, Springsteen or Clapton, this won't affect either one. In fact, I bet you it bumps sales yeah. for both of them. Oh, I absolutely. You know, one of the one of the interesting questions is, is that will Will those red states in America or people that don't believe in vaccines um, and, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, obviously, if you are a Clapton fan, you don't believe in a vaccine. But I have a feeling that people who did get a vaccine 
aren't going to be feeling so safe around knowing that maybe half the crowd hasn't gotten vaccinated. That's the reason why they got vaccinated in the first place is so that they can minimize the risk. It's going to be interesting to see if Eric Clapton's crowd will make up perhaps the difference Mm. of those people who won't go see him, you know, and look, the proof is, is that, you know, people that have been vaccinated have been maybe a little bit more highly educated. They certainly may make a little bit more money than people who aren't getting vaccinated. At least that's what we're seeing in the U.S. Can those people who live in a red state afford $500 tickets for Eric Clapton? I guess we're going to soon find out. Yeah, right. And I and I think go, going back to the artist who I think you've mentioned this before when we've chatted about uh, Clapton previously with the Van Morrison song. Um, yeah. Either side, whether you want the vaccine passports or not, you're taking a stance. And at the heart of it all, like this is rock and roll standing up against whatever you want to stand up against. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's why you have to admire Eric Clapton and, and people like Van Morrison for, for at least taking a side and, and, and saying, you know what, I, I need to continue to question authority. I need to, to look at what I'm looking at and make a decision. I think where the problem is lying is that the majority of the people that are the loudest in terms of the media structure are mostly on the side of get the shot. Mm. And I think that's where all of the snarky comes in the negativity comes in the people that have the most power seem to all be on the side of getting vaccinated so but look you go to certain parts of the world and there are going to be a lot of people who agree with eric clapton and and they've got their own opinions as well and i think it just makes for real interesting conversation down the road and right now actually yeah absolutely and i'm never for i go back to this all the time there's a flat earthers documentary on youtube where there's a bunch of physicists they gather for a, a salon once a month or something like that to talk about educated topics and one of the physicists gets up there after someone puts down flat earthers and he's like look these are smart minds these are brilliant people that have ideas that we can't just shun them we have to have these conversations like you mentioned so so as as and i even catch it as you said like the people that are for vaccinations i even catch myself sometimes being snobby about getting vaccinated so i think that's a good check to run on ourselves um i wonder too in 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 the past it's fascinating thinking about you know how how music is reflected in politics and world events has there ever been an instance where an artist and another artist have been kind of like diametrically opposed like this on something I, I don't think so. And, and and there's a lot of them. Certainly, you know, there's uh, Eric Clapton and Kid Rock and MIA in the rap world. And there's a, a number of rap artists as well that have been against vaccinations from the very, very beginning. And I, it's certainly a polarizing issue. I can't remember, I think, a, another time when this had happened, maybe during the Gulf War, but well after the Dixie Chicks were essentially, you know, canceled before the, the word even, even came came into being in a regular basis when all these people started coming out years after the 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 Iraq war saying well you know maybe we should have you know gone against um you know the republicans and maybe we should have been outspoken and take our chances with radio not playing us and video stations not playing us i think that was a real um i think that was the last test of before we entered into the new world of if you don't agree with me and I have power to cancel you, I will do so. Radio stations are still playing Eric Clapton. Radio stations are still playing Michael Jackson, despite, you know, right. his rumors. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's really good that Eric Clapton gets to have a say in it. And, you know, we'll have to just wait and see if it actually harms his career down the road. Yeah. Do you ever sit back and like, man, music is so cool. It influences everything. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Right. You know, it, it's and, and I have to stop myself, too, because it's like, look, I want to go to a show. Um and and I know a lot of businesses that are affected by not having shows are really hurting as well. Those hotels and restaurants and bars and venues and, and everything like that. But, you know, I, I think it's still going to be a, a little bit of time away until, 
intro, I think a lot of people feel comfortable with this and this doesn't help. And I think that, you know, the mindless pop music is always really good for times like this because it signifies nothing. But then, well, you know what? There's times when it's like, yeah, you have three hours. I can tell you why Olivia Rodrigo is the most important person in the world. So I can go either. I can go either way on that. You know? That's why I love like, to- just like just when you think that something means nothing. Yeah, that's when it starts to mean everything to people like, you know, so this whole thing with Eric Clapton is funny because like, OK, so you don't want to go to see him. That's OK. So how does this affect um, the next up and coming fan base of rock music? to say, you know what, I'm really going to take a stand against a controversial issue. I'm not even going to care about my audience. I'm going to take a stand on it either way. And I think that's brilliant. That's punk. Um, And and I think just what we're witnessing now is just... it's just real hard anger, I think, on both sides of it. It's really scary, but kind of weird at the same time. Yeah, you know, I don't really fear it as much as I'm just more weirded out by it, as you say. Because it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, you step back, you're like, wow, this is really happening right now. And it and it happens so fast, yeah, right? Like, yeah. look, it, back in the days of the 70s and 80s, if Eric Clapton said this, we would probably, you and I, find out three weeks later reading about it in Rolling Stone magazine if they had the issue at the record store for us to buy. Right. And then if we didn't buy it, we probably would have never even known about this and how he feels about it. Now we know every single minute detail of everybody's personal life that I'm not so sure it's always a good thing to know these things. But, hey, at least we know now what you know what kind of a person that you know, we're dealing with on a regular basis. But, you know, Eric Clapton can say this on a Monday and travel, that information travels around the world by the end of the day without even thinking and letting it simmer and talking about it before making up our mind. It seems like we have to make up our minds within a second of seeing it on Twitter. Right. You know, it, it almost speaks to other things that, that what you mentioned there, you know, we're kind of part of the evolution of music in that sense. So we have a responsibility in this too, almost in a small way. We have a real big responsibility. In fact, we have a lot more power as audience members and as people on social media than any other time in history where, you know, you just take a look at a platform like TikTok, which is, I think, the first platform to be song oriented rather than promoting artists. And this generation who is on TikTok, the 8 to 15, 16 year olds in a in a uh, in, 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 in the majority, um, they're not interested in what the record labels are pushing. Mm-hmm. They have no interest. If they want to make Rick Springfield's Jesse's Girl a massive hit tomorrow, they could do that. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that they use the power for good like that rather than evil. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.